Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the beautiful message and music we've heard from Joe and the choir. And God, we thank you tonight, Lord, for this uh, opportunity to be together and to be in your home. And God, we pray now as we look into your word and then later celebrate the Lord's Supper that you'll speak to our hearts. God, will be open. And Lord, that we'll be obedient to what it is that you want us to do that you have to say to us, God, that we'll respond tonight. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, when you hear the phrase that we're, we're taking a journey, it just feels a little more involved than we're on a trip or we're headed somewhere. A journey seems to imply a destination, but also it, it, it implies what's involved with that trip. In other words, we're on a journey. We've we're headed somewhere, and there's going to be a lot of things that take place in the meantime. Well, this evening in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to look at the Christian life, and it is a journey. It's a journey. We, we have a place we're headed, ultimately uh, a date with God, literally a date with God at some point in our future. But we're on that journey right now. And I want us to see some things tonight that God says that are very important. Some of them aren't pretty, but they're really important, uh, good reminders, good things to keep in front of us as we, we walk this world together and for and with Christ. Here's number one as a Christian. We're all entrusted with a mission. Every person here tonight who is a believer, you are entrusted with a mission. You are on a journey for Jesus Christ, and he's got a, a plan that he is wanting you and me to fulfill. Certainly true of a church, but tonight we're going to focus primarily on the Christian in verse 1 and 2. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. It's interesting. Can I go back to verse 1? Some of the words here, it says, we are servants of Christ. This word servant in Paul's day was a person who was hired by a wealthy family to manage the household affairs. Uh, we might call that a treasurer. It would have been in that day something maybe of a treasure. But it was a person that you would hire if you had a lot of money who would oversee maybe your family, your estate, your finances. It might be a lawyer today. It might be a CPA. In this day and age, Paul's day, it was probably a little more personal, a little more involved in the management every day in and day out of your family. Paul says, we are servants of Christ. We are not in charge. We don't own the family. We don't own the family's possessions. And we're not working for ourselves, we're working for someone else, but it was this picture of this most intimate position, someone guarding and protecting a family's most valuable assets. It's also the picture, maybe for a tougher picture, of an under rower on a boat. You, you're familiar with the old ancient ships, they had sails, but they also had these gigantic rows, that, uh, uh, oars that came out that groups of people would row. You familiar with that picture? That is a torturous picture, isn't it? 
There was no chubby people doing that. They weren't chubby after a few weeks. Can you imagine the energy it would have taken to road your way across an ocean? And that is a service position, isn't it? That's someone working for a captain entrusted with a mission. And Paul said, we have been entrusted as a household manager supervises the owner's things, as a rower pulls and does the legwork for the captain of the ship, so we as Christ followers, Paul was certainly talking about apostles, but again, this no doubt this spreads out to you and me. We have been entrusted, we have been given the service job of holding and being responsible for the message of Christ getting out across the world. He says, we have been entrusted with the secret things of God. You can look at that and you can get nervous. Go, what is he talking about there? Secret things of God. He's talking about the things, the secret things of God that were revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ being the way to the Father, him coming, him dying, him resurrecting. Those were the things that were revealed, the mystery of the gospel that was revealed. And Paul said to them, as he says to you and me tonight, we are on a journey, but as Christians, we are on a journey with a mission. We are servants of the King. Isn't that exciting? And he has given you and I a mission. He has entrusted us. He's expecting us to be faithful. He is depending on you and me. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that scary? God is depending on you and me to take his love to evangelize and disciple the world in his name. We're on a mission. William Carey is considered the father of the modern missionary movement. He was a Christian man in England. And at that time, several hundred years ago, there was hardly any missionary movement anywhere in the world, at least that we know of. William Carey began to feel that God had entrusted him and many others with a mission to reach the world with Jesus Christ. And he went to the group of older preachers in his area, and he shared his heart with them. Calvinism of a very stringent predestination was being taught and preached in much of England in that time. You're going to heaven or you're going to hell. That's just the way it is. And one of the older ministers told Mr. Carey, Mr. Carey, when God decides to save the heathen, he doesn't need you or me to help him. Thank God William Carey said, you know what? God's entrusted me with a mission. For whatever reason, God has chosen to use you and me where we are in our world. Well, I'll I'll start this mission when I graduate school. It starts tonight. It starts tomorrow. Well, if I was a paid minister, I know it's whoever you are and wherever you are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been entrusted with a mission. God has given you something very valuable, his message of eternity He's entrusted you and me with it. Isn't that exciting? Get a little scary? So let me ask you the second thing this evening. How are we doing on our mission? How are you doing? How how are we doing? I want you to raise your hand if you agree you are entrusted with a mission. Okay? Whether you raise it or not, you are. How are we doing on this... uh, this task. It's interesting, verse 3 and 7, what Paul says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. 
Indeed, I do not even judge myself. You could tell Paul's bivocational. He was not depending on the tithes of the people to support him. Kind of funny, but true too, isn't it? My conscience is clear, but listen to this. But that does not make me innocent. Did you get that? Just because I think I'm doing great doesn't mean necessarily I am, is what Paul is saying. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. I'm not going to read the rest of it, but in verse 6 and 7, he just kind of reiterates that on and on. Here, here's what Paul's saying. We have a mission. How are we doing on our mission? Other people, especially if they know you're a Christian, have a view on how you're doing. One of the joys of being a minister is, is we get to hear often how people think we're doing. You may or may not, but people do judge you too. I love what Paul says. You know what he says? And I don't think he's saying it in a mean way, but he's saying, you know what? I'm not really, I'm not going to let their opinion of how I'm doing affect me. Now, that would be pretty arrogant, but here's the second thing he says. I don't even trust my own opinion. You see, you can always find somebody who thinks you're great. And if you need to find someone who doesn't think you're great, call us this week and we will point that person to you. There's always going to be somebody who thinks that you're not doing very good, correct? Paul said you've got to be careful as you let other people ring your bell or throw water on your parade. But Paul also said be careful how you judge yourself. In, in my experience, most of us tend to judge ourselves pretty well. Now, certainly there's some people that have self-esteem problems that always devalue how they do and what they're doing, but most of us have a tendency to overestimate, don't we? Our goodness, our efforts. You know, though saying we judge others by what they do, we judge ourselves on what we intended to do. That's true, isn't it? I think what Paul's really saying here. He's not saying don't be conscious of how you're doing. In fact, I think he's telling us to be conscious of how we're doing. But he's telling us this. If you want to know how you're doing with the, uh, with the message God's entrusted you with, you stay close to the Word and you stay close to Christ. Ultimately, it's going to be Jesus who judges us someday. But even here on this earth, I want to hear what you have to say. I need to look within my heart, but ultimately I have to look in the Word of God and I've got to really look at myself in the mirror and I've got to really examine how I'm doing. How are you and I truly doing on the mission that God is depending on us to fulfill here on this earth? You know, when you were, you were younger, not your age, but younger, people always said it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. About nine, you realize that was a lie, correct? Now, it's not a lie, but what you, what you find out is that's not how the world operates, is it? Let, let the football coach at Tech next year, let the team play real hard, and they go 0 and 12. It will matter, won't it? That's the truth. 
six months from now, it's Wayne and Stacy in the choir. We'll probably have a meeting, won't we? And Wayne says, I'm trying really, really hard. Well, and certainly there has to be some success or fruit to our lives. But see, Paul's saying that's not even the main thing. The main thing is, are we being faithful to the task God has called us to? It really goes full circle. You see, in the end, what really matters is not winning or losing. It's how we played the game. And I hate to call life and the mission a game, but you understand what I'm saying. It's how faithful we are with what God has left us here to do. How many of you struggle with that, though? That's tough, isn't it? Because the world doesn't judge us by faithfulness. Check your heart tonight. Check your heart this week. How are we doing with the mission God has left us here to fulfill? Maybe it's as a full-time minister. Maybe it's in your retirement. Maybe it's as a salesman or a house mom or a coach or teacher or a student. But we all have been entrusted, and God expects us to live this mission out. How are we doing with it? Here's the third thing about the journey that's not pretty. But the journey's going to be tough. The journey's going to be tough. How many of you really like to hear that? Good. Everybody's sane or asleep. Verse 9. For it seems to me God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, even to angels, as we are to men. Now, Paul's painting a vivid picture here. What was going on is that the people in Corinthians, many of them he had led to the Lord, he had discipled. They've become arrogant. They've become puffed up. They've become very assured of their goodness and how wonderful they are. And they're looking down on Paul and they're condemning Paul. And and Paul's just laying down. He goes, you you know what he's saying to him? You're right. It's tough. You guys seem to be doing great. But we are getting kicked hard. The picture in verse 9 was a familiar picture 2,000 years ago. When a Roman general won a battle, when he would come back into his town, maybe it was a, a local community or maybe it was Rome, they would have a big parade. We have Christmas parades. They had mall people parades or whatever. Uh, Pillage parades after they had raped and pillaged villages or whatever. So they're coming back in. They have this great parade, this great line of people. And at the end of the procession are the POWs, are the, the enemy they captured alive. And I'm sure they were, they were tied together or shackled. And they probably had guards with spears near them. And they had to walk through the jeering people. Can you imagine how that would have been? And then they were led away either to the Colosseum in Rome or to a local arena where they were certainly going to be put to death. Paul said, you know what? We're trying to serve Jesus Christ, but a lot of times I feel like one of those POWs walking to my death. Now, this seems real discouraging and real negative, but I want to be encouraging because I think what Paul's saying, when you're on the journey and you're doing it right, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Paul goes on, and he doesn't even let up. In fact, he gets worse. He gets more negative before he gets positive. Verse 10, we are fools for Christ, but you are so wise. He's being a little sarcastic here, too. Don't you love sarcastic biblical humor? 
We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, and we are, breeded, uh, we are brutally treated. We are homeless. This is the health and wealth gospel, isn't it? We work hard with our own hands. The Greek people considered manual labor beneath them. Paul said, you know, we go out and do anything we can to scrape a living. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth and the refuge of the world. It's literally the picture in Paul's day of someone cleaning the kitchen utensils and what fell off from that, that was kind of considered the, the refuge there. Paul said, we're like that leftover food after you've cleaned the kitchen. That's pretty tough stuff, isn't it? You know what Paul was saying? <clears throat> Journey's pretty tough, isn't it? What was going on or fixing to go on in Rome, Nero was the emperor, young people, and one of the things Nero would do is he would take Christians and he would dress them up in animal costumes. A lion skin, a bear skin, and then he would put you in an arena with a live bear, a live lion, a live tiger. And you'd be mauled to death. Not long after this, Peter, we believe, was going to be crucified upside down. He said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Christ, crucified upside down. <clears throat> Paul was going to be beheaded. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, Revelation, First and Second and Third John was going to be exiled, and Andrew, Peter's brother, was going to be crucified in Corinth, or near Corinth, in the coming days. <clears throat> Pretty tough stuff, isn't it? You know, Christianity's been around 2,000 years now. You look at the history, it's been pretty tough a lot of the times. First 200 years, it was tough. It was tough. And it began to let up after some of the, the leaders in Rome became Christians and some of the leaders around there. And it gave a lot more freedom, helped the gospel spread. But it wasn't long before you had the rise of uh, Islam and you had a lot of slaughter and brutality there. You jump ahead from the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages where there were problems. You, you jump ahead into the last century. If you were a Christian who happened to be born in China... It wasn't going to go well for you. If you were a Christian who was born in Cambodia, Laos, communist Russia, there was a real good chance you were going to die. If you happened to be a Christian in Nazi Germany, there was going to be a real good chance the Fuhrer was going to get you if you don't watch out. And, you know, we live in America, and it's a great place to live, isn't it? It really is. Because at this point in all of our existence, we've never been arrested or we've never been beaten in America because we're Christians. But it may happen. It may happen in your lifetimes. I don't know if it will in mine. But even here today... We know, and I know, when you decide to ratchet it up and you decide to live for Christ, you decide to get serious on the mission, you are going to get hammered. People are going to lie about you. 
They're going to question your motives. They're going to question your heart. They're going to slander you. The sad thing is that happens a lot within church walls, doesn't it? You know how the church will get purified? This is terrible. Church will get purified when the, when the world turns on the church. You know why? Because that, the only ones of us will be left are the ones who are going to be together at that point. Correct? And I'm telling you this this evening because I want you to know two things. One, I don't want to lie to you. Living for Christ is the greatest thing, but it's tough. Okay? But if, it, if it's tough, you know what? It means you're doing something right. Jesus Christ was the one who said, if they curse me and they call me a devil, do you, or do you not, I'm paraphrasing, are you dumb enough to think they're not going to do it to you? That doesn't make it much easier, does it? Y'all are way too quiet. I need a joke, but I don't have anything right now. Find some strength in this. It's going to be tough. I want to read to you about a group of Christians in Iran. This was in the 50s. One minister named Mihadad was an Assembly of God minister. He was arrested, spent 10 years in prison because he was a Christian. He was given every opportunity to regain his freedom. All he, they said he needed to sign a paper saying he was wrong and return back to Islam. He would be freed. He wouldn't do it. He was beaten, tortured, and put through mock executions. The mock executions where they take you out. Say they're going to kill you, put a gun to your head, pull the trigger, and it's a blank. You know, it's horribly psychologically what that would do to you. His wife gave in to the pressure, converted to Islam, and married another man. Wouldn't that be wonderful, guys? His kids hung tough, though, never renounced their faith. Next, he was offered freedom if he would just say, I'm mentally unstable. He refused to do that. Finally, a fellow pastor named Hawk let the Western press know, our press know, about this man, Mihadad's plight, and he was freed. But not long after that, Hawk himself disappeared. Later, his body was found murdered. But Mihadad continued his route as a pastor after he was freed, and <laughs> then he was murdered. It'd be tough, won't it? As much as we don't like being accused and abused verbally, it's probably a lot better than having our wives put in prison. Well, I don't know. Let me think about that. Going to be tough. Here's what Christ tells us. We're on the journey, entrusted with a mission. Constantly evaluate how you're doing, knowing it's going to be tough. It's only going to be tough if you're doing right. And continue to live worthily. Continue to live a worthy life that God's called us to live. I want to read verses 12 through 17, part of these again. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. How many of you like to punch when all those things are done to you? Nobody but me. 
up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth and, we, and the refuge of the world. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many fathers. From Christ Jesus, I have become your father. Look in verse 16. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Aristotle, the great Greek philosopher, listen to this, because this would have been known by all the people of this world, said the greatest virtue of a man is not to endure an insult. Do you get that? When someone insults you, you let them have it. The greatest virtue is not to endure insult. And Jesus Christ came along and said, when you're insulted, pray for them. When you're cursed, bless them. When you're slandered, find something good to say about them. They got a horrible mouth, but their teeth are pretty. Just the absolute, complete opposite of everything that the world then and the world knows today. How do we live worthily? Let me give you a couple thoughts. One, be tough. You know, a Christian's got to be it's supposed to be a gentle person, but they got to be a tough person. It was said about Abraham Lincoln, he was velvet steel. And that's a great statement because what it was saying was is that he was soft and attractive, not physically, he was kind of ugly physically, but, you know, he was attractive, but he was tough. And as a Christian... If you're going to make it and you're going to be successful, you've got to be tough. I wish somebody would have told me this. But they didn't. You've got to be tough. Number two, try to live above it. Isn't this tough? Live above the junk. How many of you would say you fail at this regularly? Because the junk is easy to get stuck in, isn't it? That's why it's junk. Paul seemed to have a way to live above it, didn't he? Not not in an arrogant way, but a way spiritually and psychologically that he could cruise past the junk. And and the last thought, and I think this, it's not only something to do, but this is something that happens. You'll be a great example when you live worthily, when you live above it, when you remain tough. Verse 16, imitate me. That word imitate there is where we get our word, English word to mimic. You know what it means to mimic someone? It's normally we think of it as an insulting way. Someone, you know, smiles and you smile back. They raise their, you know, you're, you're making fun of them. But imitation is really the most sincere form of flattery. If, if you dress like someone, comb, do your hair like someone, you act like someone, In a sincere way, that is a tremendous form of flattery. Paul's not saying I'm perfect. Paul's saying, listen, I've learned to be tough. I've I've learned to stay on mission. I've I've learned to be above the junk. Follow my example in this. And guys, listen, what people need to see is that we can get out of the junk when we get in it and that we will be tough. Did you know that? Do you realize one of the greatest examples you can set is this time 10 years from now, if you're still alive, you're at church on Sunday night. That you've endured. You agree? That's right. Your kids and your family don't need to see you going, shoo, shoo, 
spiritually, they need to see you being steady. And one of the greatest examples will be you and I enduring and being tough and, and, and staying on the course that God has left us here for. William Carey, I mentioned William Carey a few moments ago. Guys, did you know in our world today, even people like Vance and Cherry, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of missionaries have gone out through the world, and a lot of it can be traced back to the missionary movement of William Carey because someone said, God's given me a mission. He got made fun of. He got challenged. He probably didn't get a lot of support, but he stayed on mission and he stayed tough. Thousands of missionaries are throughout the world today. One of the reasons is because people like him set the example. Those two men I talked about who were killed in Iran in the 70s, when they died around 1977, they estimated there was about 2,500 Christians in Iran. 2,500 Christians. 30 years later, there was close to 60,000. And many of the Christians in Iran today who are aware of that whole scenario trace back the explosion of Christianity because two men were willing to stay the course and stay faithful to the mission that God had left them with. I want to read you a story about a guy named Clarence Jones. In 1940, Clarence Jones founded the Cornania Farm in America's Georgia as a, home, a haven for racial unity and corporation. In 1954, the Ku Klux Klan burned every building on the farm except Jordan's home. In the midst of the raid, Jordan recognized the voice of one of the hooded cowards, a local newspaper reporter. The next day, the reporter showed up for a story about the arson while the rubble was still burning. He found Jordan in a field planting seeds, and he said to Jordan, I heard about the awful news of the tragedy last night, and I came out to do a story on the closing of your farm. Jordan just kept planting and hoeing, planting and hoeing. The reporter continued his prodding, and with no response from Jordan, finally the reporter said, you've got two PhDs, and you've spent 14 years pouring yourself into this farm. Now there's nothing left. Just how successful do you think you have been? When he heard this, Jordan stopped hoeing, and he looked at the reporter, and he said, you just don't get it. You don't understand, Christians. We're not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. And he went back to planting and hoeing, planting and hoeing. You know, that's a great story. That's a great story because that's what God expects from us. To keep on keeping on with the mission that he's entrusted us with on this journey. Tonight as a Christian, I don't know where you are on the journey. Maybe there's some things you need to repent of. Maybe some commitments that need to be ratcheted up. When we give the invitation in a moment, will you come? Will you, will you get those things right with God tonight? Maybe you'd like to join the church or maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, it'd be a great time to do that this evening. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you.